Please be seated. Good morning again. And welcome to a, a different kind of morning. What a great morning as we celebrate our Lord together this morning. The last few weeks we have been talking about the, the scriptures and we've been starting to talk about the importance of the word. And this morning we want to talk about a little bit of the message of the word. And you're going to, if you look at your notes, you're going to see that right at the top of the page, the Bible is the story of God's interaction with us and his pursuit of us. Now sometimes we look at things and we say to ourselves, I'm not really sure if God pursues. And maybe sometimes people say, well I've been looking for God and seeking God, but I haven't been able to find him. So I have been thinking about this a little bit, so let me use an illustration. I'm going to go back, back, back into history. My history. <laughs> okay? Guys, I think all of our guys are going to get this, and I think probably some of you women will too, but I think there's a, correspond, a corresponding thing as well. But guys, have you ever, when you were back in your single dating days, met those gals that kind of presented as interesting and maybe were interested in having a relationship with you and then as you kind of started to initiate they went bang and shot you down and they just kind of yes all right now when I asked Joan out for the first time I thought Dog doggone it she's one of them so I, I remember this day after church I went to Joan and I said I said I was wondering if you wanted to go out and maybe uh, get dinner sometime. And she goes, you and me, alone, together? <laughs> I'm thinking, oh man, this is not going to end well. <laughs> but she said yes. But I was thinking, boy, I thought I was getting the signals and I thought I was getting out. Yeah, this could have some possibility just to have it dashed. Now, ladies, maybe you've, maybe on the flip side... You've had some of those guys that were like friendly and cordial and they always seem to be interested in wanting to hang out with you and spend some time, but they never got around to asking you out. And you would kind of go there and go like, what's up with this? Like, when is he going to pull the trigger and say, hey, what are you doing Friday night? You know, you're, you're kind of teasing this thing, but you're not following through. And sometimes I think people think that way about God. Okay, that God kind of teases us and entices us, but then pushes back when interest is communicated or interest is demonstrated. Because I've talked to a lot of people and I say, you know, I'm interested in God, but he just seems far away. He just seems distant. He doesn't seem like he's accessible, available. It doesn't seem like he's always necessarily really interested in me. And nothing could be further from the truth. Because the reality is that God has given us word to initiate relationship with us. To tell us about who he is and how important we are to him and what it is he wants in relationship with us. I want to look at a number of things here that stand out to me as I walk through this journey and, and process through this. So we're going to start in Genesis chapter 2. And we're going to look at verses 4 to 7, then we're going to jump down to verses 15 and 25. And I feel like I just got high and loud real quick. So, these are the records of the heavens and the earth concerning their creation at the time that the Lord God made earth and the heavens. 
No shrub of the field had yet grown on the land, and no plant of the field had yet sprouted, for the Lord God had not made it rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. But mist would come up from the earth and water all the ground. Then the Lord God formed man out of the dust from the ground and breathed the breath of life into his nostrils, and the man became a living being. Drop down to verse 15. It says, The Lord God took the man and placed him in the garden of Edom, Eden to work it and to watch over it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For on the day you eat of it, you will certainly die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper corresponding to him. Or helper, as the, uh, King James might say, that is fit for him. So I just had a, just officiated at a wedding yesterday. And it's fun to officiate at weddings and, and to do that stuff. But it's also particularly fun to work with a couple. And as you work with them, you realize they just really fit well together. You know how that works? You ever, you ever see a couple sometimes, and, you, and they're dating, and you scratch your head, and you say, I'm not sure how this is going to work. You know, but th- this is going to be an interesting one to watch. And, and maybe you're, you're, you're in a position like me, or maybe a family or friend, and you kind of say to them, says, are you sure this is a good idea? Are you sure this would work? And they're going, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But it's fun, like yesterday, to, to officiate and be a part of a relationship where, where they just fit, they match. And, they, and, and that's kind of what's being talked about here, that God is saying, I'm going to make a helper for Adam that they just, he just fits him perfectly. Matches with his, you know, is kind of the opposite to, to his needs. Or as the saying would go, he's the yin to her yang, or whatever, however that all works. You know, but they're, they're just great opposites and they fit each other and blend well. That's what God was doing when he made Eve. And, and so he goes on and says, The Lord God formed out of the ground every wild animal and every bird of the sky and brought each to the man to see what he would call it. And, whoever, and whatever he, the man called a living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock. By the way, pause for a second. Did you realize that there was Latin back in the day? Because when you know you look at the books today and they have names for everything, it always has a Latin name. Did you notice that? My my Jones cousin. I used to work with Jones cousin. And he was he was a he had a biology major and all that kind of stuff. And we we worked construction together. And he would go to the jobs and he would name different things. And it always had a Latin name. You know, now I took Latin. I was terrible at it, but everything had a Latin name. So I'm making a joke here. I don't think that everything had a Latin name, but it seems like everything has a Latin name. You have an English name or other name, but it seems at the root there was a Latin name. But whatever he called it, that's what it was. And the man gave names to all the livestock, to the birds of the sky, and to every wild animal. But for the man, no helper was found corresponding to him. So I guess I went backwards. Sorry about that. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to come over the man, and he slept. God took one of his ribs and closed the flesh at that place. Then the Lord God made made the rib he had taken from the man into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, this, this one at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This one will be called woman, for she was taken from man. And um, it goes verse 24. This is why the man leaves his father and mother and, and bonds to his wife, and they become one flesh. And it says, and both the man and his wife were naked, yet they felt no shame. Now, here's what I want you to think about here. We see this 
whole creation thing. And you would think, when God starts to have a conversation about how he makes everything, where everything comes into existence, and the universe, the sky, the clouds, all these animals, the oceans, you would think that he would take a lot of time to talk about how he made it, and how it was special, and, and all the, the amazingness of all the animals, and the craziness of all this creation. If you ever have a chance to go to a zoo or travel around creation, it is amazing. It's spectacular. It's intriguing. And you think God would take all of this time to talk about how crazy, amazing, and spectacular he made this this wonderful world about. And yet, pretty much one chapter talking about him making stuff. He did, I did this on the first day, morning and evening the first day, he's done. I did this on the second day, just like boom, boom, like bullet points. But then he starts to get to man and he starts to talk about Adam and Eve. Why? Because the focus of the story is not God's making of everything. As crazy as it sounds, that's secondary to the conversation about Adam and Eve. Because Adam and Eve were the focus. Why? Because God was creating everything to have a relationship with Adam and Eve. Crazy. But God was creating, creating an amazing place for Adam and Eve so that he could have a relationship with them. Now, go to the next chapter. This is that chapter where we read about how they disobeyed and they ate the fruit. But there's something else I want you to see here that stands out. So verse 6 and 7. It says, the woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at, and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. It says, then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Now people look at this and they go, time out. Back up, however you want to say it. Why in the world did God put a tree in the garden of Eden? A tree that he says, if you eat it, you're going to surely die. Why did God put something there that would cause them to say, no, I'm not going to listen. I'm going to do something else. Why would he do that? And the answer is actually really simple. God wants us to have a relationship with him But he also wants us to have a relationship with him because we choose to have a relationship with him. Have you ever had someone in your life that tries to start to press into your life and it kind of freaks you out a little bit? And you you say, you know, hi. (laughs) Why don't you stay over there and I'll stay over here, but we can, we can be friendly, but let's kind of be friendly from a distance. I, you know, I have, I have, you ever have Legos? Play with Legos? And you say to yourself, listen, I'm like a six-piece Lego part. I have like six connectors, and all six connectors are good. 
I don't have a seventh connector, so I'm really good, so you can kind of hang out over there, and you can look for someone with a free connector, and you can become friendly with them, but right now I'm good because all my connectors are satisfied. I have relationships, and you know, you're good, and I'm good, especially with you over there. Now, how do you feel if God was trying to be that person who was trying to push it into our space? We would not always enjoy it. We, we might get annoyed with that. And what did God do? God said, listen, I have created all this for you and I want to have a relationship with you. But at the same time, I want you to choose a relationship with me. And the, part of the ways that we choose a relationship with God is by choices we make. By the decisions we make. Now, again, we're going to go back to some of the dating stuff. Have you ever dated someone and they said, I love being with you, I really like you, and then they always made like dumb choices? You know, like, I'll, I'll pick on me. When I eat garlic, you can tell I've eaten garlic. Okay? My breath is pooey. It comes out my pores. Okay? So like, like I want to be with you. But before I come over and hang out with you, I eat a garlic sandwich. Okay? So you're kind of looking at that going like, dude, I, I like hanging out with you, but you always smell. <laughs> you know, you got to stop eating garlic before you come over. In fact, I'd rather you take garlic out of your diet, like totally. But then I never take garlic or the person never takes garlic out of their diet. You're going to kind of come back and say, you know, like I like hanging out with you, but you're making a choice here that's making it really tough to hang out. God wants us to make choices that identify a desire for relationship. And so God gives us choices and he gave Adam and Eve a choice, some choices to make. Do you want to choose to do things that bring relationship? Or do you want to choose to do things that create separation of relationship? But God gave the choice. And this is what's amazing about who God is and about what God has done. He gives people choices. But I want you to catch the sense of what had been going on. Because look at these next verses. And it, and it just says it as a passing thing. It doesn't focus in on it. But for me, it just jumps off the page. Look at verses 8, 9, and 10. It says, Then a man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So the Lord God called out to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Do you have anyone in your life that you know their home by the way they come in the front door? Do you have that? You know, they come in, boom! Okay, I know Brian's home, or I know Kyle's home, you know. Or like, they go, hello! You know, when you get that whole thing, just the way they walk into the house. You know who it is. Now, you know who it is because, one, you've been living there, but you know who it is because you've gotten used to them walking in the door. You've gotten used to them walking into the house, and you've been living in relationship with them. What I want you to see, 
is when God started to walk in the garden, they recognized that it was God walking in the garden. They were used to him. They had become accustomed to how God was walking. You know, the, the, they got accustomed to maybe the, the sounds of the animals, maybe the sounds of the, of the, of the walking, how things... But they, there was, they were used to the sound and the experience of God walking in the garden. So as God entered the garden, they knew he was there. And this is key. Because God didn't put Adam and Eve in the garden and say like, hey, I'll be back next month. I'll check in on you periodically. No, God put Adam and Eve in the garden, and then God showed up, it appears, on a regular basis, so much, in fact, that they recognized it when he showed up in the garden to spend some time with them. Why? Because God is interested in relationship. He gave them freedom to choose, but he was interested in relationship. And so as you start to look at the Bible, and even as we see it from the very beginning, God is laying the groundwork and identifying to us that he is desiring, wanting, hungering for a relationship with you and I. He's not playing hard to get. He's not teasing us along just to disappoint us later on. He's actually seeking to initiate a relationship with us. And he communicates that through his word. Now, I can't go through everything on a, on a single Sunday morning, so I want to jump ahead a little bit of time. And so specifically, a large part of when you read the Old Testament, we read about how God works with the nation of Israel and part of what God was doing with the nation of Israel. And I want us to look at John, excuse me, um, okay, I have to go back to my notes. I want to look at Genesis 4, 1 to 7 real quick. Before I go to the nation of Israel. All right. It says, The man was intimate with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain, and she said, I have had a male child with the Lord's help. She also gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel became a shepherd of flocks, but Cain worked the ground. In the course of time, Cain presented some of the land's produce as an offering to the Lord, and Abel also presented an offering, some of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. The Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but he, had, but he did not have regard for Cain and his offering. Cain was furious. And he looked despondent. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you furious? And why do you look despondent? If you do what is right, won't you be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. What I want to do, communicate here and want you to catch is this. Even after the Garden of Eden, God is still initiating relationship. And God is still identifying the pathway to have a relationship and the pathway to have friendship. Okay? So, now we see Cain and Abel. We see the kids. And when we read this account, we read that as Abel brought a sacrifice to worship and, and have conversation with God. He brought a sacrifice that God said, this is exactly what I asked you to do, just the way that I asked you to do it. And that was accepted. But Cain decided to do his own thing. 
Cain said, God, I'm not interested in having a relationship with you the way you've asked me to have a relationship with you. I want to have a relationship with you on my terms. You ever have anything like that in your life? Okay? And of course you all respond to that wonderfully well and you say, that's absolutely what I was hoping, that you wouldn't care about how I hope to interact with you, but you would just initiate and roll over me and demand of me your expectations. Right? Don't, don't we love that when that happens? And of course the answer is no. Cain said, no. I'm setting the agenda. I'm setting the terms. And if you don't like it, tough. I'm setting the agenda. But here's what stands out to me. God goes to Cain. He has a conversation with Cain. He says, Cain, I want a relationship with you. I want, I want you to come to me the way I've asked you to come. It's not complicated. But again, what do we see? We see the whole issue of choice. The whole framework of choice. And instead of choosing to have a relationship with God as God established, Cain said, nope, I'm going to do it my way. And in fact, I'm so ticked off, I'm going to kill my brother. But God has continued to initiate relationship. God continued to initiate relationship. But the reality of choice remains. Now we'll go to Deuteronomy. We'll look at the nation of Israel. Deuteronomy chapter 4. This is a kind of a really cool chapter section. And there's two parts that really stand out. And we're going to look at the second part in a minute. It says, but let me read through. And I want you to listen to the flow of what's going on. I want you to listen to partly also why God is establishing and creating a relationship and has established this relationship with the nation of Israel. All right? It says, now listen. Now Israel, listen to the statutes and order, ordinances I am teaching you to follow so that you may live, enter the land, take, and take possession of the land the Lord your God Lord, your Lord, the Lord, the God of your ancestors is giving you. You must not add anything to what I command or take anything away from it so that you may keep the commands of the Lord your God I am giving you. Your eyes have have seen what the Lord did at Baal Peor for the Lord your God destroyed every one of you who followed Baal Peor. But you who have remained faithful to the Lord your God are now alive today. What happened? Some we're talking about the reality of choice. Some chose to follow and, and turn their back on God, and God dealt with that, and God addressed them. The nation addressed them. Okay? But now he's coming back. But you, your eyes have seen what the Lord your, did at Baal Peor, for the Lord your God destroyed everyone who, was followed, about, who followed Baal of Peor. But you who have remained faithful to the Lord your God are all alive today. Look, I have taught you statutes and ordinances of the Lord my God has commanded me. This is Moses talking to the nation of Israel for God. So that you may follow him in the land you are entering to possess. Carefully follow them. 
For this will show your wisdom and understanding in the eyes of the peoples. When they hear about all the statutes, they will say, This great nation is indeed a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call to him? And what great nation has righteous statutes and ordinances like this entire law I set before you today? You catch what he's saying? He's, he's, he's giving them something that the nations are going to look at and be amazed at. Or should. Only be on your guard and diligently watch yourselves so that you don't forget the things your eyes have seen and so that you don't slip from your mind as long as you live. Teach them to your children and your grandchildren. The day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, the Lord said to me, Assemble the people before me, and I will let them hear my words, so that they may learn to fear me. And by the way, when we use the word fear, we're not talking about living in utter terror. We're talking about learning to adore, to recognize, to respect, to honor. Okay? So, so that they would fear me. All the days they live on the earth and may instruct their children. You came near and stood at the base of the mountain, a mountain blazing with fire into the heavens and enveloped in a totally black cloud. Then the Lord spoke to you from the fire, but you kept hearing the sounds of the words, but didn't see a form. There was only a voice. He declared his covenant to you. He commanded you to follow the Ten Commandments, which he wrote on the stone tablets. At that time, the Lord commanded me to teach you the statutes and ordinances for you to follow in the land you're about to cross into and possess. What do we see here? We're, we're seeing the reality of God establishing relationship, God initiating relationship with the nation of Israel. God, again, is the initiator. And as God is giving them the commandments, as God is giving them the law, it's righteous, it's pure, it's going to protect them. And part of the goal that God has in giving these commands and these instructions to the nation of Israel is that the nation of Israel would live in such a way, conduct themselves in such a way, that the nations around them and the world would look and the world would see, my goodness, look at the blessing of God that rests on this nation. Look at the wisdom and the discernment that allows this nation to make decisions and to live. Look at the harmony. Look at the unity. Look at the, 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 the richness of their community. Look at the greatness of their culture. And they would recognize it was because of the greatness and the goodness of God's blessing on them because they were listening to the instructions that God gave them and also recognizing that God was right there with them. And God's expectation for the nation is that they would know his blessing, they would know his presence, and they would shine as a beacon of light to the world around them, allowing the world to see the amazingness and the awesomeness of who God is. But also, offering that opportunity for them to have a relationship with God as well by entering into that same covenant. Now, here's what stands out to me. So, we have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. The fifth book. But there's a bunch of books in the Old Testament. Now, look at verse 2. 
He says, you must not add anything to what I command you or take anything from it so that you may keep the commands of the Lord your God I am giving you. When you look at the rest of the Old Testament, the rest of God's conversation with the nation of Israel, here's one of the things I want you to recognize. God did not initiate new laws or new commands for the rest of the Old Testament. He didn't say, well, the, 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 these Ten Commandments aren't working. Let's go find the 15 suggestions. Okay? He, he, he didn't do that. He stuck to the law. He stuck to the covenant. He stuck to the things that he established with the nation of Israel. And the rest of the books of the Old Testament, the rest of the writings of the Old Testament, all refer back to the covenant that God established with the nation of Israel. And God is consistently saying to the nation of Israel... Walk with me. Know me. Have relationship with me. Don't be stubborn. Don't reject the promises I've given you. Don't reject the covenants I've given you. Why? Because God is continuing to have a conversation with a nation of a nation that is choosing to say no on so many levels to the promises and relationship that God is seeking to establish instead of saying yes. But through that whole process... God is trying to have a conversation and God is constantly saying, come back, have a relationship with me, walk with me, know me, live in light of the wisdom and counsel and guidance I'm seeking to give you. The whole time, God is initiating relationship. While often during that process, individuals in the nation is stiff-arming God and saying, later, I want to do something else instead. We then come to the New Testament. Look at Romans chapter 7. Verse 18. Paul's talking about the law and, and this is kind of a, a, some of the culmination of the conversation. He says, for I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my flesh. For the desire to do what is good is with me, but there is no ability to do it. For I do not do the good I want to do, but I practice the evil that I do not want to do. What's he talking about? He's talking about the reality of a sin nature, a reality of a presence inside of us that makes us want at times to say no to God. That makes us want at times to kind of push God away and say, no God, I don't want to do it your way. I want to do it my way. Okay, God, I've heard you. I've, you've, asked, you've asked me to have a relationship with you. In a sense, okay, using the earlier illustrations, you've asked me to come into a relationship, but I, 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 I'm busy. I'm busy. I've got other things going on. He continues, now, if I do what I do not want, I am no longer the one that does it, but it is sin that lives in me. So I discover this law. When I want to do good, evil is present with me. For in my inner self, I delight in God's law, but I see a different law in the parts of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and taking me prisoner to the law of sin in the parts of my body. What a wretched man that I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? But then he says, 
Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord, so that with my mind I myself am serving the law of God, but with my flesh the law of sin. But then he continues in the conversation. Jump down to verses... Um, Chapter chapter 8, beginning of verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, because the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, i.e. the relationship that God sought to establish with the nation of Israel and that the Old Testament talked about, What that law could not do, since it was weakened by the flesh, God did. He condemned sin in the flesh by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. Not as sinful flesh, but in the likeness of. As a sin offering, in order that the law's requirement would be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. What he's saying here is Jesus came to fulfill the promises and the expectations of the law. And as Jesus is coming to fulfill the expectations of the law, he's also dealing with that rebellion and that stubbornness that prompts us to push God away and say no. For those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit have their minds set on the things of the Spirit. Who is the Spirit? The Spirit of God. Three members of the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In this conversation now, we're seeing the conversation of the work of Jesus, and we're also seeing the working of the Holy Spirit. Now, the mindset of the flesh is death, but the mindset of the Spirit is life and peace. The mindset of the flesh is hostile to God because it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it is unable to do so. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, if anyone does not have the Spirit of God, he does not belong to him. Now, if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. Then if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through his Spirit who lives in you. Now it's a mouthful. Okay? It's a big mouthful. But what's he coming back to? He said, listen, the flesh... Our sin nature, it kills us. In our natural inclination, we push God away and say, God, I don't want anything to do with you. Even though God is constantly initiating relationship with us. Even though God is constantly reaching out and saying, I want to know you. I want to walk with you. I want to have a relationship with you. But we are constantly stiff-arming God in the flesh. But Jesus came and took sin upon himself so that we could be forgiven, so that we could have God's righteousness in our lives. And when a person looks at Jesus and says, you know, God, I want forgiveness of sin. I want to have you in my life. And so, God, I'm going to ask Jesus to come into my life. I'm going to ask Jesus to, to give to me the forgiveness of sin that he, he accomplished for me on the cross of Calvary. Jesus, I want that. 
what's amazing is that Jesus applies to us his righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21, I've said it bunches of times, but I'll repeat it again. God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God, so that we can have God's righteousness in our life. But what's amazing with that as well, though, is that the Holy Spirit, the presence of God, takes up residence in our lives It helps us now to start to walk with God and to know God and to live a different life based upon the power of God working in us instead of doing it on our own. Why? And why is all this going on? Why is God doing all this stuff? Because God wants a relationship with us. You see, and God is having this conversation all through Scripture, and God is initiating all of this conversation through Scripture because he's telling us again and again and again and again and again in many, many, many different ways how much he loves us. Now, I've learned this from being married. My wife likes it when I tell her I love her. And she likes it when I tell her that a lot. But I also discovered this. My wife likes it when I tell her I love her in different ways. So she likes it when I, instead of using the words, I love you, I do something for her that she really appreciates. She loves it and she likes that communication. I love you. When she comes home after work or maybe we, or she comes into the bedroom after we're getting ready to go for the day and she sees the bed made. Okay? She sees it through those little choices. She appreciates it and she sees I love you when she walks into the family room and my socks and shoes are no longer on the floor instead of in front of the chair. But rather they've been picked up and thrown into the hamper. Or she hears me say, I love you, and I say, okay, I'll take the dog out and I'll feed the dog. Or she hears, I love you, and I say, okay, I'll go to the, I'll take your car to the, now, she doesn't have to pump the gas, but I'll still take your car to the gas station and get gas for you. And what God does all through the Bible is he tells us in so many different ways how he loves us. He doesn't just say, I love you. And all through the scriptures in various and different ways, he's telling us, I love you this way, and 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 I want to have a relationship with you, and I want to know you. And he's telling us again and again and again and again on so many different levels how he loves us and how he wants to have a relationship with us because he cares about us, because he created us to have a relationship with us, not to be distant. We chose sin. Adam and Eve chose sin. We chose sin. That created separation, the reality of choice. And all through history now, people have been making a choice. Do I want to walk with God and know God, or do I want to live distant from God and stiff-arm God and say, I'll do it my way? Or we've said to God at different times, you know, God, I'll have a relationship with you the way I want to have a relationship, but I'm not interested in having a relationship with you the way you desire me to have a relationship with you. And so choices are being made all through history. And again, the Bible is a conversation of that whole process and all of those things taking place over time. But God constantly saying, I love you. I care about you. I want a relationship with you. Let's finish up and just continue on down. So, brothers and sisters, 
We are not obligated to the flesh to live according to the flesh, because if you live according to flesh, you're going to die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For those led by God's Spirit are God's sons or daughters. For you do not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And if children also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, Excuse me. If indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him, he's saying, "Guys, listen. I not only want to have a relationship with you; I want to make you family. I'm not interested in just kind of dating. I'm not interested in just being cordial. I want you to be family." See, God is seeking your relationship. God is initiating. Now, two other verses stand out. I won't, I won't turn there, I'll quote it, but John 3.16. Probably most of you know it. God loved the world so much that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Who's the initiator? God. God is the one who's initiating. God is not saying, hey, I'm at the end of the finish line. If you're interested, jump through these hoops. Otherwise, I'm busy. Catch me if you can. Try to find me. I'm hiding. I'm playing hide and seek. And I'm not giving you many clues. That's not how God operates. See, God is initiating. He sent Jesus. And I love this other part in, in 1 John chapter 4, 4 verse 9. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists of this. Not that we love God, but rather, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sin. See, so often, we hear the narrative that I love God and I care about God, but God seems kind of far away. That's a false narrative. That's fake news. Strike it from Facebook. Don't let it get posted on Twitter. Fake news. True news. God loves us. God has initiated that relationship by chasing after us and seeking us. The reality is, guys, we're not the initiator. God is the initiator. God is the initiator. God loves us. And the story of Scripture, the story of the Bible is the constant story of God saying, I want to know you. I want to have a relationship with you. I want to be in relationship with you. Would you walk with me? Would you know me? You have a choice. You need to make a choice. 
but I want to know you. So as we think about the Bible, recognize that the Bible is a story of God saying, I love you like crazy, and I want a relationship with you. Now, I don't know where you are on your journey today, but we're going to have a baptism in a few minutes, and part of the significance of that baptism is we're recognizing and identifying that these individuals today have come to that point in their life where they're saying, Jesus, I'm saying yes to your invitation to have a relationship. Jesus, I've asked you to come into my life and I've received your forgiveness of sin and I've accepted that relationship with you. I don't know where you are on your journey, but that's what God desires of you as well. And if that's something you're interested in talking more about, one, I'm going to be around after the service. Connor's going to be around after the service. Joan's going to be around. Allison's going to be around. We invite you to talk to one of us. But also on our communication card, there's a spot for you to check off and say, could you give me a buzz this week? I'd love to talk to you more about what it means to have a relationship with Jesus and what it means to respond to this amazing relationship that God wants to have with me. We'd love to talk to you more. I'm going to pray. Those of us that are going to be part of the baptism program are going to sneak out and meet right over there. Our ushers are going to come and receive an offering. The music team is going to come back up and play, and lots of fun things are going to just about take place again. But let's have a word of prayer, and we'll ask God to bless. Father, I thank you so very much for your amazing goodness to us, for this amazing richness of who you are and how much you crazily love us. Father, I would just ask that as we embrace on these next few moments, that you would just free us to say thank you so much for who you are in the amazingness of your kind love for us. Be honored, I ask, in Jesus' precious name. Amen.